does our relations relations with UN member countries guide how we approach multilateral platforms or is different? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a, it's a combination of both. Firstly, multilateralism has been accepted by everyone uh, around the world uh, as a necessary system because uh, the challenges that are facing the world, there is not a single country acting alone that uh, can uh, solve them, whether you're talking about peace and security or whether you're talking about climate change, about the sustainable development, development goals. You can only address those uh, challenges uh, in the context of countries cooperating, working together in the multilateral system under the, the United Nations and uh, various uh, of its uh, agencies. So this is uh, basically taken as a fact uh, now that we need multilateralism. Because the other thing that multilateralism does is that uh, we get together to develop common policies, to develop uh, approaches to solving these problems, to develop norms under the United Nations. And international law as well is developed under other under, under the United Nations uh, auspices. Mm-hmm. So you see, therefore, that multilateralism is quite is very much indispensable for all countries of the world, those that are big and those that are small. So in the multilateral context, of course, we do take into account our bilateral relations with different countries. You know, we could be negotiating a resolution on a country-specific issue, for example, let's say in Geneva, on human, in the Human Rights Council. So as we negotiate that resolution in the multilateral context, we do also need to factor in uh, our approach to that particular country uh, bilaterally. So there is that interaction between the bilateral and the multilateral. That's quite easy. Let's talk about our approach to United Nations um, agenda because yeah. it's a big institution with mm. many agencies, many committees as well. W- when you look at our program this year, there's a lot of meetings. Take us through what it's going yeah. to look like this year. Yeah. Uh, firstly, uh, just to talk about the theme of UNGA 78 yeah. that will start next week is uh, about uh, rebuilding trust and reuniting global solidarity. And this is a very appropriate uh, theme for the world that we live in today because of uh, some of the um, events uh, that have happened in the past few years. I think there is a sense that uh, uh, trust uh, is lacking uh, between countries. It is lacking even uh, at a national level. You know, the social contract at a global and local level, uh, there is a sense that, uh, you know, we need to do more to build uh, trust. So whether it is on climate change or addressing COVID uh, or or addressing peace and security issues, we need uh, uh, global solidarity. So this theme of uh, uh, rebuilding trust and reuniting global solidarity I feel that it was uh, perfectly chosen mm-hmm. uh, by the President of the General Assembly because it speaks to the world that we are facing now. And I think in terms of some of the areas of uh, focus this year in the General Assembly and some of the meetings where the South African delegation led by the President uh, will be participating on, again, they, they, they follow this same thread of trying to bring a global solidarity. So, for example, there will be a summit on the Sustainable Development Goals. As you know, the Sustainable Development Goals were adopted in 2015 as part of the 2030 Agenda. We are now at a midway point between uh, before uh, 2030. And the the analysis of the United Nations uh, I mean, shows us that only 12% of the goals are on track 
to be achieved by 2030. So this summit of the on, on the SDGs that will be held on the 18th and the 19th is very critical. It is a time for member states, for heads of states and, and government mm. to actually recommit themselves to, to taking more action uh, individually, collectively, regionally, uh, to make sure that we, we, uh, we do a big push on the SDGs during the next uh, seven years so that we can move from the 12% of where we are now to a much, much uh, higher percentage in terms of achievements. Of course, uh, we had COVID-19 that uh, did a lot to reverse some of the gains that were being made on a number of the of the, of the the SDGs. Now we have got uh, the current uh, crisis around food and energy. Mm. So all of these are affecting the, the implementation of the SDGs. But we hope that uh, tr- uh, through this Summit, uh, member states will come up with a much more uh, uh, um, uh, commitment to accelerated efforts to implement the, the SDGs. Then another important uh, engagement, uh, which is also critical for South Africa, will be the, the high-level dialogue on financing for development. Okay. Because again, when you look at financing for development, uh, you look at the challenges that we are facing, finance is definitely at the center of all of them. I mean, from climate change to the SDGs, we need uh, 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 finance. So this will be a one-day high-level dialogue on, uh, on, on financing uh, for development. And South Africa in New York has been playing a very key role in facilitating the preparations for this, uh, for the, for this high-level dialogue mm-hmm. led by our permanent representative, Ambassador Matu Joyin. Then another area that is going to be key for South Africa is a climate ambition summit that will be held uh, on the margins, uh, convened by the UN Secretary General. And we expect that um, the president will be there. Again, the, the call uh, for this Climate Ambition Summit mm. is to say what, uh, how, what can we do uh, now to implement, uh, first of all, the agreements that we, we already have undertaken on, climate, on fighting climate change. For example, uh, last year in COP27, a Shamal Sheikh in Egypt, there was uh, one of the key outcomes was the creation of a loss and damage fund. Uh, so we need to make an assessment. How far are we uh, with this? Are we going to be able to deliver the loss and damage fund by um, by by COP28 uh, that will be held uh, later this year? So again, I mean, if you look at that, and of course the whole balance in addressing climate change, adaptation, mitigation, and the means of implementation. So heads of state next week again will be uh, meeting in this Climate Ambition Summit to really pledge uh, you know, more actions uh, on climate in preparation for, for COP28. Then there's also there are three uh, meetings yeah. uh, that are health related. Again, very critical uh, meetings for, for South Africa. One is on pandemic preparedness. As you know, from, um, from the time of COVID, there was a call uh, uh, that the General Assembly needs to convene at the highest level to discuss uh, pandemic preparedness. And of course, this is complementary to some of the work that is being done in, uh, in Geneva. As you know, under the auspices of the WHO, there is a process, an intergovernmental process that is negotiating a, a, a treaty on pandemic preparedness. So this meeting in New York at the level of uh, heads of state and government will sort of also give impetus to support the, the process happening in, in Geneva. Then the, the two other meetings related to health are on universal health coverage. Yep. And then <clears throat> and the other one is on tuberculosis.
So those are so basically that is a, in addition to the general debate yeah. where the, the heads of state and government will be delivering national statements. There's also this uh, series of high level meetings happening on the on the margins of Unga 78, and they are all very key for South Africa. Are there any of these meetings that South Africa will chair where we are expected to really play, make a, a significant call? You know, all those those meetings. Are we are we chairing some of those meetings? Yes, they, 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 in the meeting on pandemic preparedness, yeah. there was a, um, a, a suggestion that uh, South Africa and France should co-chair one of the uh, roundtable discussions yeah. that will be happening during that meeting. But really that also, as you correctly say, it speaks to our legacy, the legacy that we have uh, on this matter from the time that we chaired, the, the, from the time that the president chaired, um, uh, was leading the efforts at the level of the, of the AU. So yeah, so it's, it speaks to that, and just a general recognition of uh, South Africa's uh, positive uh, contribution yeah. in this uh, on, on fighting um, uh, pandemics, both from the scientific perspective, but also our political uh, leadership. Mm. In, in terms of uh, the, the the delegation, are we expected to have uh, ministers accompanying the um, the president on this on on, on health? Are the meetings that the president will? normally be delivering the, the leading the South African delegation? The president will lead the South African delegation. Uh, there is an expectation that the Minister of Health uh, will also be part of the delegation as well as the, the Minister of uh, Finance yeah. will be in the delegation. As you know, also, um, when we go to, to this uh, UNGA uh, high-level week, we also built in a bilateral program so, so that the president can use his presence in New York mm-hmm. to also address, uh, uh, you know, businesses and uh, and other partners. So there is going to be a business forum that is being organized by the uh, Department of uh, Trade, Industry and Competition, and our department, as well as our mission, our consulate uh, in New York. So there will be a business forum as well where the president will interact with a range of uh, high-level uh, U.S. Uh, business people. So in addition to the multilateral program, which is the main focus, there's also this opportunity to utilize the time of the president in New York to also do some uh, some of the interventions at a bilateral level, especially in terms of attracting uh, investments to South Africa. Talking about investment in South Africa, we just concluded a very successful BRICS summit as well. Mm. Are the BRICS uh, ministers, heads of states expected to meet um, that yeah. uh, normally w- will take place under these uh, important issues? and. Mm. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, the the meeting of uh, of IPSA, uh, BRICS, they happen uh, on the margins of of uh, each UNGA yeah. at the level of uh, foreign ministers. So we expect that they will also be uh, happen uh, the, um, this year. But of course, we belong to other groupings as well. Yeah. So the the ministers uh, of the Group of Seventy Seven in China uh, will also be meeting. The ministers of the Non-Aligned Movement uh, countries will also be meeting. The Commonwealth uh, ministers also meet. So there is a range of uh, those meetings for some of the formations that South Africa belongs to that uh, are held annually during the UNGA High Level Week. So you can see that it gets very busy. (laughs) It gets very busy. No one's going to be sleeping there at all. (laughs) That's quite important as well. I mean, let's let's, let's look at this. I want to, to, to really get your sense of you, you served in New York and continually going to, 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 to work on these important uh, issues as well. As far as 
reform of the United Nations is concerned, and it is the call that we are constantly continue to make uh, in a very various platform. Either we are in the continent, we are at NAM, we are at G20, we are all various multilateral um, uh, organizations as well. There's a reform agenda that we continue to pursue as well, be elevated. Yeah, yeah. So the the issue of the reform of global governance is one of the key foreign policy priorities for for South Africa, yeah. and it's it's um, easy to understand because most of these institutions were created during the time when uh, the many parts of the world, especially the countries of the South, were still under colonialism. They were not uh, independent. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think a, a very glaring example is the UN Security Council created in 1945 uh, in the manner that it, it is now today. So, I mean, when you look at the Security Council, clearly our call is that it needs to be adapted to the to the world of today. It must uh, reflect in its composition uh, what is happening in the world and, the you know, all the emerging uh, countries uh, need to be fairly represented. And, of course, in the case of Africa, there is a historical injustice because we are not represented um, in the permanent category. Hence, we have been calling, um, you know, for uh, two seats for the African continent in a reformed uh, Security Council, two permanent seats and uh, three additional uh, non-permanent seats. And of course, there are other countries from other regions, you know, countries such as India, uh, Brazil, uh, uh, Germany, Japan, that are also in the forefront, that feel that um, uh, since 1945 up to today, they do deserve uh, to be also permanent members of the of the Security Council. So the, the idea of reforming global governance, it also goes back to where we started about the theme, yeah. about building trust uh, you know, and reuniting global solidarity. Because again, when you look at these organizations, there is uh, people uh, do lose trust uh, in these organizations because uh, of the lack of reform. I think, I think a reformed security council would obviously perform better than the one uh, that we have uh, today. So when we are talking about reform, it's not just about our aspiration to be a member of the Security Council is just about improving the workings of this organ, of this uh, uh, part of the of this important organ of the UN. Because if you look at the UN Charter, the Security Council has got so much power; uh, it has got so many privileges. So we want a, a balanced uh, representation mm-hmm. uh, in the in the in the Security Council. But when we talk about go- uh, global governance, it's not only on the political side. Yeah, I, I mean, um, we also talk about the reform of the international financial architecture. Yeah. That is the reform of the IMF, the World Bank, and other multilateral development banks. So this is uh, very important as well uh, because uh, the, the quota system in these organizations, especially in the IMF, uh, means that uh, developing countries are perpetually disadvantaged. So we want developing countries like South Africa, uh, countries from Asia and from Latin America, to have a bigger say in the workings of, of these banks. Again, it's not re- just about the numbers. It's also about what these uh, institutions do. So uh, right now we just came back from the the G20 and one of the important calls uh, uh, by the G20 was that we must make multilateral development banks bigger, uh, better and more impactful. Okay. So we want to see uh, bigger banks, 
better banks and more impactful banks. So that means uh, then uh, they, they need um, to increase their resources, increase their lending to developing countries to deal with all this multiplicity of challenges that we are facing. I mean, if you look now, for example, in the, the situation of indebtedness of countries, it has actually increased. I think the UN counts more than 50 countries that they consider to be on a debt row, which means these are countries that can fall off over the cliff in, at any time just because of, of the level at which they are indebted. And this, these are also countries in Africa. So we're looking at, at reform then substantively, not just about us being on the on the table, but about the, the, the whole uh, ecosystem mm. working better, uh, delivering better, and uh, being more impactful on the ground. How significant is it for the country to have South Africans to serve in these multilateral institutions, but also these positions as well, uh, in terms of what it does as well to into pursuing South Africa's agenda as well? Yeah. Uh, when we talk about representation in these organizations, yeah. we also go back to the UN Charter, which basically provides that the, the staff of the UN should come from all uh, regions of the world, and it should be men and women. Uh, so uh, so basically, it's already embedded there. So uh, therefore, countries aspire to, to these positions for their nationals. As you have correctly said, we've had uh, a couple of very senior officials at the, at the UN, and of course, this ebbs and flows because they, you know, when the term ends, there's no guarantee that you know you'll get a South African in the same position. In fact, you may not uh, be able uh, to do that. So that means that at all times we must uh, be alert as a country to see what positions are coming up in the in the near horizon, yeah. and then try to position uh, uh, South African nationals for 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 that. Again, this is a, a key part of our foreign policy. I think here at at DECO we discuss this all the time. You know about uh, what are the potential uh, vacancies that are coming up and where where uh, uh, can we place uh, South Africans and which uh, South Africans. So you mentioned a, f- a few names. So we've had the 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 good honor of uh, ha- of having been represented by very good uh, South Africans and all of the the people that you mentioned really excelled uh, in in their in their jobs yeah. and they, there was wide recognition of their service uh, to the UN but the but we need to do more. So we need to, again, make sure that at all times we do have uh, South Africans. It's still not enough. It's not enough. No, it can never be enough. Okay, so we need, we okay. need uh, to do more. Mm-hmm. I mean, for example, uh, so you mentioned we had uh, Navi Pillay, yep. Dr. Pumzilem Lambongoga at the, at the level of the UN. And now we have uh, Fink Haysom yeah. uh, in, in South Sudan. So um, you know, so there was a time when we had those three or four in the in the UN, but now we have one mm. at that level, at yeah, the level of yeah. Under Secretary General. Yeah. So that means we need to do more. We need to you know to go back to uh, to better numbers. Uh, and I think in South Africa we have got so much talent, as it has been shown already. So we need uh, to find the the right candidates and place them in good positions. Yeah, I, I was looking also. You you have Trinidad and Tobago, who is the current president of the the General Assembly, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and I mean, is the, uh, the, the issue of um, the position of a president of the General Assembly <coughs> critical? And, and also, what does that position does you know, for the UN in terms of 
uh, putting out the agenda? Is it a, a, a powerful position that as South Africa we might be interested to put a South African there when it's Africa's turn? Yeah, it's an important uh, uh, position and, and quite uh, significant. Okay. And what we have seen actually in the in the past uh, few years is that the presidents of the General Assembly have been quite active, very proactive. I mean, they come and announce a theme. They have uh, a number of priorities that they announce. So during that uh, uh, year when they are leading, they actually take uh, initiatives mm. uh, based on the priorities that they would have outlined at the beginning when they were uh, being elected. So now we've seen a lot of activism uh, now by the recent presidents of the General Assembly. And I think the good thing is that also we see the presidents of the General Assembly coming from all countries of all sizes, yeah, from yeah. the small islands. The last uh, we had a president of the General Assembly from the Maldives. Uh, he was followed by a president of the General Assembly from Hungary. Now we have uh, Trinidad and Tobacco mm. for Unga 78. So South Africa, uh, we are uh, actually planning to present a candidate for Unga, seven, uh, for Unga 79. So it will be Africa's turn. Yeah. So that is already in the works. We are working on that uh, to make sure that we can get a South African to be the president of the of the General Assembly. And obviously that, that uh, person will also articulate an agenda and priorities. Yeah. And we hope that they would also be active like some of the recent uh, PGAs. To, to, to reflect on this, we always speak about that our foreign policy really is Afrocentric, you know, mm. to say really we need to prioritize the interests of the continent, of us, that we can really develop, you know, and then we leave the, the, the rest of the continent um, outside. I mean, is this why we also pursue an agenda of having the African country, I mean, I mean the African Union into the, the G20 as well, as, as you will have, yeah. um, you know, the EU, for example? Yes, yes. You know, when I was talking about the Security Council earlier, I spoke about the historical injustice that was done to Africa. So it is the same in most of these uh, international organizations. So the, the admission of the African Union to the G20 is quite significant uh, because then the African Union will be part of the you know global deliberations on international economic coordination, which is the, the rise and deter of the, of the G20. So having uh, the African Union there basically amplifies uh, our voice, amplifies our our interests as the continent in this uh, very uh, important body. So yes, our foreign policy is really Af Af Afrocentric. We are very much um, uh, committed to making sure that the AU works and performs uh, well. Uh, we have got Agenda 2063, uh, whose 10-year anniversary was being celebrated uh, this year. So we have to see what we can do in the next 10 years. We have issues of peace and security in the continent. Uh, we've seen recently some of the constitutional changes of government, especially in, in West Africa, yeah. West and Central Africa. So basically, uh, South Africa should always be in the forefront uh, of uh, advancing the African agenda, Agenda 2063, silencing the guns. So we want to be part of those conversations. And as you know, we are currently serving as a member of the uh, African Union Peace and Security Council. Yeah. So we are represented by our ambassador in Addis Ababa in those uh, deliberations. Again, the the AUPSC is, is quite a key uh, institution. What we see um, uh, in the past few years is that actually the even the UN Security Council sometimes takes its cue 
from uh, the, the African Union Peace and Security Council. As you know, the agenda of the Security Council in New York is almost 60% is about African uh, peace and security issues. So, uh, so it makes... more than half. Yeah, more than half is about, is about Africa. Therefore, it makes sense that there should be that subsidiarity where the AUPSC basically pronounces on, on issues and then the Security Council, you know, also aligns uh, with the... So we've seen that happening. I mean, it doesn't happen 100% mm. all the time, but there is definitely a move uh, towards that kind of uh, synergy. So, yeah, so... Um, I, I, yeah, I mean, Ambassador, I, I really wanted to, to, to look at it to say, when it comes to peacemaking, you, mm. you con- continuously have other countries out of the continent who are involved in um, peace building on, on that. How do we make sure that the yeah. AU doesn't just make those political pronouncements, but also... They're involved in the rebuilding process yeah. as well. Yeah. So uh, that's, a, that's a very important um, uh, question. So the, the African Union already has, you know, its own frameworks like the, you know, a post-conflict uh, reconstruction and development policy. Then we have the, the architecture, the, the, the peace and security architecture. That is actually made up of these sub-regional uh, blocs. Uh, and then we have got the AU, the AUPSC. So we want all of that to, to work. Uh, so, I mean, for example... Uh, take the issue of prevention. So uh, the AU, uh, almost like the UN, has got a responsibility to to work on prevention and make sure that prevention succeeds. Because if prevention succeeds, then there will be less conflicts, less wars, less um, unconstitutional changes of of, of governments. Yeah. So this is one of the areas that we are we are focusing on. A, a very important development uh, of the past few years is actually the the AU having its own. Uh, peace fund where uh, uh, countries have contributed so it is a, a quite a significant uh, fund that is there so it allows uh, the AU to be independent uh, in the pursuit of peace and security in the continent. So from that peace fund, that is where the AU funds mediation teams uh, that go and intervene in uh, in different countries. So there is a, I mean, there is a lot of uh, progress yeah. that has been achieved. Of course, the peace fund we can always uh, increase it, make it much larger. But the key thing is really that it allows uh, the the African Union uh, to basically take its own initiatives instead of waiting for donors who are usually countries from uh, from from other continents. So. Slowly, we, we are making uh, progress uh, on, on, on this front. Uh, and then, of course, uh, you mentioned at the beginning, I think one of South Africa's achievements in the three terms in the Security Council, in the UN Security Council, was this idea of promoting cooperation yeah. between the African Union and um, and the UN. And as a result of that, there are now structured meetings. So, for example, uh, the AUPSC mm. and the UN Security Council, they meet once a year. And these meetings alternate between Addis Ababa and New York. So they basically meet once a year and they look at the commonalities in, in their agenda because their agenda is common. Mm. Is Because, as I said before, more than 60% of the agenda of the UN Security Council is about Africa. So naturally, those all those items are in the agenda of the AUPSC. So the two councils meet. These are very dynamic and very progressive uh, meetings when the, these two councils meet and they normally agree on a communication 
communique at the end, basically making a statement on all those uh, those conflict situations. So that already shows uh, the importance of that synergy. But then secondly, uh, beyond this council's meeting, there is also a structured mechanism mm-hmm. at the level of the secretariats. Okay. So again, the secretariat of the AU, which is the commission, and the secretariat of the UN, uh, they meet um, uh, they meet uh, once a year at the level of the AU Commission Chair and the UN Secretary General. Mm. So they meet now as organizations, again, to build on, on, on synergies. And I think this has also led to a lot of uh, sharing of experiences. Uh, I think both organizations gain, they learn from each other. Because there are actually areas where the AU is doing things maybe even better than than the UN. Yeah, because so, who, who take precedent now when, yeah. when, when there's a critical peace and security issue that yeah. is happening in the continent as well? But, yeah. I mean, if the meetings are happening once a year, one will think it should kind of happen maybe per quarter if diary yeah. allows, you know. <laughs> yeah. I know just how active the diary <laughs> No, that's true. Get, yeah. you know? I mean, they could, uh, that, that's a very important point. I mean, for example, they, they could uh, maybe do one virtual meeting and one physical meeting. So maybe in the two, maybe two times a year, mm. they, they in the first half of the year there could be a virtual meeting, then followed in the second half of the year by the by the physical meeting where yeah. they either meet in New York or meet in um, in Addis Ababa because mm. indeed some of these situations are quite dynamic. Yeah, mm. to, to talk about in terms of who we'll take precedence, what was your assessment as we conclude that synergy between. Um, you, uh, you, uh, African Union Peace and mm. Security Council, and and UN. Pre- yeah, yeah. So, so what my observation during the four years that I was in the in the in New York yeah. uh, recently, as well as the two years when we were in the Security Council, my observation was that uh, the Security Council, in most of the times, they do they they, they took the cue okay. from the AUPSC. So the AUPSC would meet in Addis Ababa and, and take a particular decision, maybe pass a resolution or uh, uh, issue a, a public statement. Those are really considered by the Security Council. So there were many o- occasions that I saw myself where the Security Council would actually wait for the AU to, to pronounce. As I said, it, it's not 100%. It doesn't happen all the time. Mm-hmm. But there were very key moments when the, when the Security Council actually deferred uh, to the AU and took its cue from the AU. Thank you so much, Amber. Thank you very much. Really, really appreciate it. Thanks, thank you. Thanks. Thank you so much.